I'm continuing to tell the story of Yukio Mishima as an illustration, both of Takeo Doi's picture of Amai and of Freud's death drive. But both of these then, as a picture of what I think Paul is depicting in the New Testament and Jesus as a kind of living death. That is that our tendency is to take death up into ourselves. Uh, that death is not some inexplicable uh, thing that happens to us merely at the end of life. But the idea in the New Testament is that there is an orientation to death that we can actually trace in our lives. I think that Mishima gives us a neat illustration of this uh, precisely because of his artistic expression. Uh, he's able to articulate this in the novel and in, uh, even in his nonfiction work. Uh, but what he's articulating is a, is a deep suffering, a masochism uh, that ends in his own suicide. But it, it's a suicide with a very peculiar genealogy uh, that takes a turn then at the end of his life. And this is what I want to touch on at the end here. But uh, as a kind of reference back you know, to his incapacity for love, his incapacity to, to develop a relationship with Sunoco. One is reminded of Freud's phrase that there is no sexual relationship. And of course what Freud means is that one cannot coordinate uh, the imaginary self with the body, with the, uh, the reality of imbo the embodied self. One can't coordinate between the ego and the superego. Uh, and another person and that's what precisely what Doi is depicting is that his own superego his own sense of uh, law his own sense of self interferes with his capacity to to have a relationship with someone else uh, especially of a the intimate uh, relationship between male and female and so there is an inherent alienation in the self there is a split between what Paul will call the law of the mind the law of the self or in Freud the I you know the superego or the ego and in the Apostle Paul between the uh, he actually uses the same language or Freud uses his word the, the Greek word ego for I and uh, he depicts uh, the split between his embodied self, his flesh and uh, the law that exists in his mind and so this split depicts a kind of lack of self or the inability to obtain the ego or the the reflected image uh, uh, the other, of course, here, the, the I is no reality. He calls it the imaginary and the, the point or the place from which we would attempt to obtain ourselves is the symbolic, the place of language. And so between the two registers of the symbolic or the superego or uh, the law, the, the idea that this functions in the world of language and what is trying to what is uh, being obtained as a reflected image is in the world of sight is a kind of object 
And so there is a breakdown between these two that is just inherent. Uh, it is a, a relationship that is built upon frustration and agonistic conflict. Sun and Steel is Mishima's picture, I think, of the peculiar turn that this conflict takes that is very much akin to Paul's picture of the turn to law. Mishima will term it a turn to duty, uh, that he will suddenly find the purpose in his life, uh, a cause to die for. Uh, and of course, this is you know the idea of the profoundest depths of the imagination, he says. Lay in death. Uh, it is natural, perhaps, that and he, he says this isn't a necessity, but he said he needed to prepare his defenses against the encroachment of his own imagination. It's an amazing use of language that we have here. Uh, he is doing what Lacan pictures, you know, he's going to pit himself against his imaginary self. He says, I should have conceived the idea of turning the imagination that had so long tor tormented me back on itself, changing it into something that I could use as a weapon for counterattack. Who's he attacking himself? By what means is he attacking? He's using himself. But it's one part of himself, you know, the kind of the imaginary, is going to be undone, is going to be destroyed. Uh, that he's uh, he's depicting then uh, the the language here of a pure moral masochism. So rather than let his imagination get the upper hand, he would use his imagination. He says in a war on the self. And so as he prepares, you know, he's doing bodybuilding. He has this little militia that he's formed, a group of men in which he's advocating a kind of right-wing militarism in which they're trying once again to find a purpose, a cause to die for. But understand this is a very uh, subjective cause that he's actually battling against himself in the attempt to undo the profound suffering that is the fictional world, you know, that is, uh, and I'm thinking that this this painful fiction to read is a depiction, a true depiction of the suffering of Mishima and his own, uh, you know, masochistic imagination. And so it's precisely at this point when he's turning himself against himself that he hits upon the concept of duty. You know, think this should just resonate if you're familiar with uh, uh, Immanuel Kant's notion of duty. Uh, and of course, this is Freud's picture of the morality is precisely our immorality. Uh, that it's not the Pharisee, you know, it's not the, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, it's the Pharisees that are going to kill Jesus. As Mark says, it's not the one who robs the bank, but it's the uh, one who founds the bank. It's not the, it, it's the organizers of the law. And the positing of the law 
of the system, you know, whatever that system might be, as a kind of end in itself, that, that in some way we depict or we create a system in which we imagine there is life in the law. Uh, and, you know, this is really what Paul is laying out, I think, be, between Romans 7 and 8, uh, that he's going to depict the subject of desire that aligns with Mishima's self-agonistic struggle and contrast he contrasts that with the subject of hope in chapter 8 uh, and the subject of deception of forbidden desire makes the law makes duty a means of achieving the self and so enacts a loss of the self in which the eye observes or sees and this is Paul's language he uses the term blepo in Greek he sees himself or his body as a kind of alien force, another law. This is precisely the way that Mishima, in his early eroticism, describes his self-relationship, uh, you know, that uh, he would have destroyed uh, this bodily aspect of himself, uh, his sexual organ that is in some way out of control. Mishima's early laments, you know, in the post-war period is that the society has taken, it's a non-purposive society. And that reflects his own sense that his personal psychic suffering is without any meaning or its goal. He's just suffering at the hands of his own imagination with nothing to show for it. As long as the outside world seemed to reflect his bleak psychic state, he felt there was a kind of correspondence that was fitting. It was attributable, you know, to the times. Uh, in the midst of the destruction he experiences during the war of an air raid, he says, I could feel a certain sense of relief. I was emboldened and strengthened by the parade of misery passing before my eyes. As the world outside reflects the war misery of the world inside, there is a kind of lifting of the psychic burden that he could experience in World War II. But with the passing of the suffering of the war, his own psychic suffering takes you know, hold, and there, there is no possibility for relief, as you know, Zizek describes it. People sacrifice their lives for virtuality and view suffering in the world as a support for, or a relief from, abstract symbolic suffering. Uh, Henry Burke Soane contemplates, you know, the beginning, the outbreak of World War I. He says there was a feeling of admiration for the facility of the passage from the abstract to the concrete. Uh, in... Uh, Chapter 7, Paul is focused on the struggle and sacrifice of life within the eye. That the agonistic struggle is an economy of sacrifice in which evil lies close at hand. And the body of death that he's describing is that one continually is sacrificing his life, not in a Christian sense, but in the anti or unchristian sense, 
that is undone or is to be undone in the sacrifice of Christ. And of course, this is the great irony, is that we often confuse these two and we imagine that the sacrificial economy that is that struggle between the I and the law is in some way fulfilled in Christ. This is depicted in penal substitution and other you know, divine satisfaction. I think it's precisely this desire, it's precisely uh, this unerotic, this anti-sexual, uh, this self-sacrificial dead you know, orientation that is undone in, in Christ. The forbidden desire of 7-7, seven, seven, you know, I did not know what it was to covet. I did not know what it was to desire. Is that the origin of human suffering? And this is linked in Genesis and even in Paul to shame. It's linked in the first couple, you know, Cain kills Abel, uh, the murder of the second son by the first. Suffering and sacrifice are inscribed into the economy of desire as part of the agonistic struggle constituting the body of death. And Mishima articulates this as he arrives at duty, he recognizes that he has to sacrifice himself, that he's working his way. It's actually a process of years, but in all these years he's picturing himself as dying for a cause. Freud describes it you know, as a conflict uh, in which the ego is the seat of anxiety as it faces possible annihilation from the superego. And what Mishima is describing is a giving in to that anxiety. The fear arises with the split, you know, between the superego and the ego, the struggle. And Mishima is, you know, all of his life and his writing he seems to be siding with the ego, but as he begins his campaign of bodybuilding, of militaristic ideals, uh, he's sided with the superego. And so on one side, the ego rejects any prohibition, and on the other, and in the same instant, he takes over the fear of that danger as a symptom in an attempt to get rid of the fear. Uh, in Lacan's commentary on Freud, it's a the spectral relation of the self to the self. You know, this is the idea of the imaginary. It gives rise to the imaginary, or what we would call the ego. But it is an uh, alienation that is inherent uh, in the very uh, notion of the symbolic and the imaginary. So Lacan says, alienation is the imaginary as such. The ego is bodily or object ego, he says, is a misrecognition, mechanisance of the self, uh, that he says is frustration in its essence. And we might think of Mishima then as working out this frustration in his moral masochism, that is going to lead to the undoing. You know, it, it, is it a defeat of the struggle to kill the self? Well, I guess in some in, in some sense it is that even Lacan acknowledges that suicide is the only act that can undo this relationship.
uh, uh, this is uh, according to Zizek, ego itself is as to its essence a symptom, a compromise formation. And, you know, this is, fits Paul's description of the split eye. He demonstrates how the law, and this, is, I think, is what Mishima is depicting in duty and arriving at a cause to die for. The law holds out a fullness of being, promising life. Now Mishima can be on the order of his friends who died for the cause of World War II. There's life, there's wholeness, there's completeness. As one attains being in the pantheon of the, those who have uh, uh, attained an identity, an enduring identity. But of course what you're actually describing, and Paul gets this, is a struggle to the death. Who will rescue me from this body uh, of death? So. Uh, it's a slavery, Paul says, to the uh, to fear and this angst, or this fear, this agonistic struggle, is what Mishima depicts so well. Lacan describes it as a drive toward unity or oneness with the self through the other. That is, you would, in some way, attain the self uh, and be one with the self. And as law, and it's an impossibility. Love is. You know, this drive is impotent. Uh, it is not aware that it is but the desire to be one, he says, which leads us to the impossibility of establishing the relationship between them two. Uh, he's purposely ungrammatical here. Paul describes this desire as working through a split in the ego, uh, and it is misdirected in that it presumes the law contains wholeness and life, and as a result, it's literally a work of death. Uh, and this is Mishima's picture. He says, to literally be preoccupied with some physical burden seemed to bring momentary relief from my imagination. The weight of some sort of drudgery was always needed to keep my conscience from raising its head too high. And in Sun and Steel, he describes this gradual shift, and this is a, you know, this is not a fictional work, but this is his, uh, I think, the last uh, piece of autobiography, autobiography he writes, uh, in which he describes the flesh as being intellectualized. It's almost amazing the degree to which he's overlapping with the language of Paul here. Uh, he began an intense physical regimen. You know, think of Paul. Uh, Paul's life as a Pharisee here. Uh, he begins weightlifting. He's giving muscle. Uh, he begins to pose. You know, uh, in the nude with the samurai sword there is this growing need he describes to express himself bodily as my body acquired muscle and in turn strength there was gradually born within me a tendency toward the positive acceptance of pain and my interest in physical suffering deepened as Freud describes it, suffering itself is what matters. 
suffering become, becomes redemptive. And again, I think there is a warning here that there is a Christianity, there is a theory of atonement that sees suffering as redemptive. I think this is profoundly mistaken. Paul describes suffering as always a futility, even the suffering of Christ. Uh, it's not that suffering per se is redemptive, but it is passing through, you know, not letting that suffering uh, become all-defining. Uh, so whether it is destiny, circumstance, or someone he loves, Mishima says it's of no importance. Uh, Freud says the mask seeks out opportunities to turn his cheek wherever he has a chance of receiving a blow. As Mishima describes it, he could only feel reality as an opposition. And it was the opponent uh, that lurked, as he described it, in the empty space beyond the flash of the fist and the blow of the fencing sword uh, that he says constitutes the true essence of things. He's, he's very much interested in violence. He pictures, you know, uh, stabbing or being stabbed. And he pictures this almost as a kind of er erotic event because being penetrated in a uh, bloodletting uh, that leads to death. Uh, in the ironic turn here that Freud describes of the fusion of the pleasure principle with the death drive, the greatest pleasure would be to attain one's own destruction. His own true essence seemed to be what had escaped his grasp, and what he was trying to literally flush out in the, his, his muscle-building program was this essence. As Doi puts it, the self is felt only as a form of resistance. And so the greater the tension within the self, the closer the reality of self is felt. The moment of complete self-discovery would be the moment of ultimate suffering. If you're familiar with the Japanese novel, with the Japanese literary scene, uh, the this idea of a redemptive suffering, which ironically takes hold in and through uh, a kind of Catholic confessionalism, um, that the novelist is the most, you know, writing is the most dangerous profession in Japan, uh, that the rates of suicide in Japan are already high, but in some way the novelist revels in this uh, suffering and in uh, suicide itself. Uh, so pain and suffering, the continuing consciousness, that is the proof of life. We know that we're on the road, ironically, that leads to death. Uh, and of course this is the orientation to death, this is taking up the lie of you know, that there's life to be had in duty, in law, uh, that as one bears this burden of suffering, imagining that he's obtained his true self, the proof of life, that it's in his very undoing that he would obtain himself.
a man can only uh, be objectified through the supreme action, which is, I suppose, the moment of death. Mere words can only act as an intermediator for this supreme beauty. This is Mishima. And the ultimate artistic expression. And so he's going to express himself. Think of him taking out his guts and laying them on a platter in the traditional ceremony of seppuku. But this is the ultimate expression of himself as he undoes himself. The profoundest depths of the imagination, he says, lay in death and not in the fetish of words. Uh, the trick was turning the mag imagination that had so long tormented me, he says, back on itself, changing it into something that I would use as a weapon for counterattack. And so, you know, his literary work was a temporary stopgap, a means of successfully holding back the encroachments of the imagination. And a counterattack against the imagination, uh, this imagination that had tortured him, tortured him, he says, must take place in some field outside that of art. And so he takes up the study of swordsmanship. He begins to lift weights to practice you know various militaristic arts all for the purpose of the final slaying of the opponent and the ult ultimate opening up of himself i will continue then with the uh, sword and shield uh, and this final act of, of mishima as the expression of what I think is the picture of the law of sin and death. Next podcast. <laughs>